Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. G'day and welcome to The Call. 10 stocks picked by you. Two experts, one hour. It is Thursday, May the 4th. And our experts on the show today are Grady Wolf from Bell Direct and Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital, both in the studio with me. Welcome to you. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Great to see you. Uh, all right. Now, of course, uh, it's very much central bank driven this week. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've had the, uh, the RBA with its shock move, uh, ECB tonight, and Grady, we had the Fed overnight. Um, you know, it, it moved as expected, but it was that commentary associated with it that we have to watch, of course. Um, how is this all influencing your investment outlook at the moment? All of our investors are very, very worried about the banking sector. And I think the fact that the Fed, well, Jerome Powell is saying inflation's sticky and we're sticking around with interest rate rises for the time being, no cuts in sight. So I think it's just sent turmoil through the market and shockwaves kind of thing. What we're seeing with investors at the moment is that they're thinking long but acting short. And we try to remind everyone, stick to your long-term strategy because there will be noise, there will be waves in the market, there will be news that will affect the market, but think long and act long. So at the moment, we're trying to keep calm in the market, but it's a really hard task. Yeah, keep that in control. That's yeah. your job, isn't it? As yeah. far as your clients are concerned. <laughs> Luke, how are you viewing this? Um, we've touched on this before, just as far as that macro outlook is concerned. You know, I know you're, you're obviously focused on those stocks at the moment, but there's so much noise around. And Grady also mentioned the issues with the regional banks in the States. Looks like there's another one that's teetering Mm. at the moment. Mm. And then we look at our own banking sector. We'll get to that in a moment with our stock of the day with NAB out with its results. Uh, It's been hit hard as well. What's your view? Well, yeah, I want to be a long-term fundamental investor to Grady's point. You want to focus on the long-term. And I think most of the time when you have events like this, there's a lot of noise surrounding it. Um, And so a part of me wants to just say, that's noise, focus on the stocks and, and you know, you'll do fine. But I must admit, when you read stories of banks trading down 60% after hours, um, you know, there's a point where there's signal in that noise. And, and to me, that's not normal. Um, you know, that's not the sort of normal reaction you should have to a 25 basis point rise that, to be honest, was priced in. The yep. commentary, as you said, maybe shocked people a little bit, but you're talking, um, you know, people pricing these banks almost instantly as if they are going under, um, and some of them likely will. So, yeah, it's it's tough. A part of me wants to say, you know, stay the course, folks, in the long term. But mm. the little voice in the back of my head said there is probably some signal in this noise that we should all be paying attention to. Yeah, you're referring to PacWest, which, yeah, tumbled about 60% uh, after the bell. That's despite, of course, what we heard from Jerome Powell saying, nothing to see here. <laughs> well, you know, the worst is past, it's under control greater regulation required. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. All right, well, look, let's focus on our own uh, banking sector. Our stock of the day is NAB. Just before we get into it, um, the first five stocks we're going to be taking a look at, Gold Road Resources, Arafura Rare Earths, Cyclofarm, Drone Shield, and Deep Yellow. So to NAB, our stock of the day, 
reporting that its cash profit rose 17% to just over $4 billion in its half-year result, declaring an interim dividend of $0.83 cents a share, up from 73 last year. But that's below expectations for a first half cash profit coming in expected at 4.2 and interim dividend of 86 compared with 83. NAB also making the decision to step back from its mortgage wars with its personal banking profits down 0.4%. It is instead focusing on business banking earnings there growing by almost 20%. And taking a look at the share price, it has been hammered this morning. As a result, uh, it's uh, we're just uh, taking a look at the intraday move. It's off uh, close to, it's down to 6% now. Was at one stage closer to 7% down. That did drag uh, the other big banks with it. Uh, at one stage, CBA was off 3 It's now off 1.8. Westpac still down 3 ANZ 2% lower. Um, so Luke, how do you look at NAB, I guess in that basket of, uh, of the big four banks? Yeah, well, I'm a small cap investor, so a 6% yeah. move in a day, you know, it's a, it's a paper cut. Um, but for a $90 billion systemic bank, it's, again, maybe signaling some noise here. Um, it's interesting, as you said, the results weren't too bad. Um, you know, double-digit profit growth below those expectations, but I think um, it was the commentary in the outlook that might have spooked the market a bit. Um, net interest margins came in under expectations, and the main reason that I could see on a quick read was um, calling out the, the the competitiveness of the home loan market and not being as willing to um, you know go in and undercut and, and you know sacrifice some some net margins that maybe some other peers are doing. So you get a little bit of contagion, you know, when, when one of the big four says, this is how we're seeing things, it looks ultra competitive and questions become, you know, are you writing good loans basically at, at the, 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 the margins that they're currently pricing? Um, and some people start to think maybe they aren't and there's, you know, potentially some, some blow ups that could happen down the road. Um, look, as far as a, a buy hold sell for the program, like I thought the result was okay, obviously below expectations, outlook cloudy. Um, I don't think someone, if you've held NAB or you know for, for a long time or currently hold it, I don't think you're rushing to sell on this result. Um, you know, it ticks all the boxes you're looking for as far as dividends and, and you know the steady growth that you want. So I think you hold it. I don't think you have to panic and, and think there's any sort of systemic problem with the Aussie banks on a result like this. Um, but no doubt it's it's an example of expectations and, and you know the market we're in you miss expectations you get hit hard yep okay Grady um, how do you look at it and I guess your assessment as it as it fits you know with its peers in that sector yeah absolutely I think it's definitely a hold at the moment we're going through a bit of turmoil in the banking sector so any news in the banking sector is or any kind of signs of bad news are taken as bad news. And as Luke said, the results weren't actually that bad, but as soon as someone starts selling, everyone starts selling. It's kind of a waterfall effect here. Um, what we noticed was that the net interest margin is coming down. So it kind of indicates that net interest margin has peaked in the sector, especially for NAB. So it's at 1.77%, which was seven basis points below city expectations. Um, again, they also, um, when we're looking at banking results, we're looking for for um, bad and doubtful debts. And that is exactly what we saw. Um, I think that's one of the reasons investors may have been spooked today because they had higher bad and doubtful debts this uh, the first half. So that rose to 393 million, which was well above city's forecast of 244 million. So they're expecting a lot more defaults to come through. Um, we're also seeing uh, an another thing that was noted was they're seeing a lot of switch
switching and mortgage competition. So a lot of people are switching their deposits and everyone is really um, reactive to what's going on. Who has the best? I think now more than ever, people are paying attention to how their deposits are faring. So they're saying, they're going, oh, well, NAB's a tiny bit less than CBA. I'll jump in with NAB or I'll jump in with CBA. So it's like everyone is finally taking a step back and looking at what's happening to their deposits. So Easier to move your deposit than it is your, your mortgage. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think mortgage is going to, um, mortgage switching could be on the horizon, but um, definitely deposit switching is a big one that they noticed as well. So we could see um, there could be further downside to net interest margins moving forward. But yeah, those those could have been the factors that spooked the market today. So hold at the moment because we like to think long and act long. Yep. Okay. Any particular preferred bank from? We don't really cover banks, so I know City covers banks, yeah. um, but no, we're not. Uh, can't really answer that one because yeah. okay. Bell Potter's more we've got a different horizon. Well, in fact, uh, mining, we're going to get into those stocks that you guys <laughs> yeah. cover, so let's go there. Let's uh, do it. All right, our first stock, as picked by you, Lila. In fact, Gold Road Resources. Now. You only have to look at the gold sector today and how it's performed over the last couple of days with that gold price continuing to build, particularly, I guess, uh, with those concerns with the regional banks in the States and the uncertainty about uh, the US economy and more broadly, the global economy and gold is benefiting. it. And then as such, so are those gold stocks. So Grady. Mm-hmm. Gold Road Resources, how do you view it? We have really bullish on Gold Road Resources and I think the market is as well. It's been one of the leading stocks in the ASX this week, especially as we see investors shift to the kind of safe haven assets of gold um, in the wake of obviously rate hikes this week. So we have a buy rating with a price target recently upgraded from $1.90 to $2.05. Now, what we like about the company is it's uh, Gruyere Mine. It's got a 100% basis. It's um, it's all in sustaining costs came in below expectations for Bell Potter in the recent uh, first quarter results. Um, the company produced 82.6 thousand ounces of gold, which was just shy of expectations, but again, costs came in below. Um, they also announced a record quarterly free cash flow of $44.2 million. So again, this is what we want to see from mining companies because there's so many years of exploration and um, so many years going into the mining process. So now that they are producing, they are selling and they are operating cash flow free cash flow positive it's exactly what you want to hear so we also like the company um, is debt free so that's also another really strong factor for a gold miner and um, it's unhedged and generates strong free cash flow growth um, we also like its exploration at the Yamano gold discovery I want to say all these mines have such weird names but we love it um, which is a joint venture with Cygnus gold in south uh, southwest Yilgen projects so we like that and they also so they're quite diversified across a number of projects mm. um, they have the Agria mine, this mine, and then also 19.99% stake in Degray mining. So we do also um, rate those with a spec buy rating on Degray with their Molina Gold project, where 8.5 million ounces of gold have been um, detected from drilling programs. So that's an exciting exploration project there for them. So yeah, again, we do love uh, Gold Road Resources and their ex- the exposure to a number of mines in the in gold mining. All right, love it to the point where you're prepared to slap a buy on it. Okay, yep. good one. Luke, um, look, I know you don't tend to dig in this sector as such. Uh, however, when you're looking at the gold miners and the performance thus far, um, how do you rate Gold Road? Um, yeah, I'm far from a gold bug, but I must admit um, it was pretty good reading the report from these guys. Um, the gold price has done really well lately and the sentiment around gold is quite strong. Um, but the fundamental results from most miners have been pretty poor. Um, very few are actually struggling to generate free cash. Um, and I 
expected to see that when I looked at Gold Road, um, but as Grady alluded to, record free cash flow for the quarter. Um, it's exactly what you want. And you know, I come back to um, when coal had a strong run last year. The real benefit was those miners were generating just significant amounts of cash. So when the commodity price runs, you want someone who's positioned currently to take advantage of that. Um, people generally want to run to explorers and, and the you know uh, players that are more highly leveraged to it. But realistically, you want someone who's producing today, generating cash and taking advantage of the higher prices that are there. So there was a lot to like, you know, currently producing very minimal capex. Um, you know, they expect production to grow and maintain over the next three years. Um, yeah, I, you know, 44 mil free cash flow, as I said before, with that minimal capex and the steady production, that should be run rate now moving forward for the next few years puts it on a you know 10%-ish free cash flow yield. That's pretty good. And despite the strong run, you know, I would say if you're someone who wants gold exposure, it's it's a buy. Well, you said you're not a gold a gold bug as such. Mm. Are you tempted at the moment? Not really, to be honest. I, I think it's one of those things where you're either a gold bug or you're not. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and no matter what happens in the world, it either reinforces your view one way. Um, you know, I'm just of the view that if you dig something out of the ground and put it in a vault, it just makes no sense to me. Yeah, but there's people out there, yeah. obviously, who are wide in a way where it's very much that safe haven asset. And if, if you are, like I said, you want someone, if you're going to play it through a miner rather than physical gold, um, you want someone who's executing like these guys are right now. So I wouldn't buy it because I'm not that gold bug. But yep. if I was, you know, this would probably be the pick of what I've seen across the space. Yep, fair enough. All right, move to our second stop. We'll stay in the resource space. Uh, this one... Uh, Brought to us by Larry, Arafura Rare Earths, uh, the name says it all. And uh, recently, well, it's got a, a, an offtake agreement with Siemens. Um, and I see that also uh, it's uh, got a, a debt um, uh, facility there with the German Export Credit Agency as well. Um, Luke, Arafura. Um, the other positive point I saw was that Gina Reinhardt's Hancock owns 10%. That was interesting to me when I saw that. Yep. Um, look, these guys are obviously going through that tricky phase where you go from explorer to producer, and it's the hardest phase for a miner to go through. Um, it's almost um, you know, no upside, all downside, because generally speaking, things only go wrong in the construction process when you're trying to build out these mines. Um, the best you can do is just get them to, to production on target and on budget. The market's already pricing that in. <laughs> so realistically, you usually only miss expectations through this phase. So production in 2025 means it'll be a couple of years of this sort of in-between period before you see production. It'll probably fluctuate on what rare earth prices are doing. Um, so for investors, I think you've got one of two choices. You've had a good run as we see the chart there. Um, maybe you, you take some profits and, and look to, to re-enter a stock like this as they come into that production in a couple of years. Otherwise, you've just got to be patient with it. Um, you know, from everything I've seen, it's again, not really my space, but you've got a, you know, Hancock prospecting as a major shareholder, offtake with Siemens, everything you want to see for where the business is today is there. Um, it's just now about executing through to that production. And like I said, it's always the toughest period for a miner, but you know, it, it looks like a good management team um, to, to be able to execute on it. So I would, I would probably hold it if you're there, but just be aware the next couple of years is that period where things can go wrong. Yeah, all right, hold, but maybe take a look at taking some profit. Well, the, the yeah. sheer price Depending had a good run. If, you, if you've been there yeah. for a few years, you've yeah. made good money on it. And, and, you know, as I said, you're now at that period where 
the exploration, you've found out what's in the ground, the market's all excited about it. Now it's a couple of years until you start to get it out and everyone sort of has to twiddle their thumbs and wait, so. Mm. Yep, okay. Grady, of course, this plays into the EV theme, the electrification, uh, just more of those elements that are required. Yes, absolutely. Well, we have a spec buy on it just because it's not producing yet. So as Luke very well said, it's a risky play just because it's the hardest time to get into this stock and hardest time for a miner to turn from an explorer to a miner and producer. Um, The other exciting thing, you guys did mention some of their offtake agreements, but they have some with Hyundai and Kia as well for the the EVs. But the interesting thing about um, Rare Earths is that it's not actually used in the um, batteries, it's used in the motors. So there's a lot of demand for that. And we did see some downside to the price of NDPR, which is the key rare earth that these guys mine and all rare earth uh, companies mine. Um, is That's that, a I would, I'm going to leave that one to you because I can't say it. Neo, neodymium. 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 Preziodymium. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. that's for the miners, not for us. NDPI is how we refer to it on this show. Um, is that Tesla um, sparked a big, a big kind of spook in the market because they they said they're not using NDPR anymore yep. because the supply side was not meeting demand. But the outlook long term for companies like this coming on puts Arafura in a really, really good spot because once they do come online, demand will be there for the use of this, uh, What they're exactly what they're mining. Um, they're, as Luke Wells said as well, Hancock Prospecting ju- recently jumped in Anyone with Gina Reinhart on their um, on their back or with their investing in them says there's some pretty good outlook there. She doesn't just invest in anyone, so yeah, it's a really good outlook. Um, and it's exciting times. There's a, there's multiple uses for what they're what they're um, mining as well. So as you said, the wind turbines in Germany, that's their Siemens offtake agreement. The cars, um, so there is extended use for the for exactly what they're mining. So yeah, it's a spec buy at the moment um, with a price target of seventy cents per share. All right. Out of resources uh, into uh, into farmer cyclopharm is our next pick by Fran. <clears throat> it's um, well, it's uh, it's radio pharmaceuticals, uh, isn't it? It's um, uh, also got uh, what FDA uh, was it near FDA near. approval or um, that's coming at perhaps at the end of the year. That's September. yet to be September. Okay, Ish. well, yeah, you Ish. know about it. So. <laughs> Okay, Grady, then explain a little more about what they're doing and, yeah. and just, yeah, in terms of that FDA approval, which is obviously key. Exactly. So with these companies, with healthcare, it's a really, you're either buying into the story or buying into when they have the regulatory approvals. Now, for Cyclofarm, we've recently upgraded them from a hold to a buy just on the back of this um, the response that they provided to the FDA in two two years ago. Mm. Um, had the FDA come back and said, yep, that's fine. Uh, we are good with your response and their likelihood for approval for Technigas is the, the product we're talking about, um, is likely towards 29th of September, so 2023. So once we get that, that we see that as a really good um, outlook and really the, we're expecting and kind of, Bell Potter is definitely expecting it to get approved. Um, the I think it's a CTR or C, CTR, the response you have to provide the um, the FDA with was never a question of safety and e- efficacy. It was more about the use of the product and um, they needed more results to prove that it was going to work for what it's doing. Um, the, so the second stage of the market is what we're factoring in. Um, it's used as a nuclear lung imaging agent. So. It's, um, we know in this space at the moment, we're seeing a lot of um, diseases and pulmonary diseases. So the addressable market for Technigas is 180 million in the US per year. So we do see that 
has a really good potential upside. So understanding that and the fact that the FDA is now nearly at the response they need and nearly giving this approval. Once you get FDA, um, it's kind of like a dominoes effect from there. But the, 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 the product is used in 57 other markets around the world already. So they are driving revenue. They are really well um, funded. So yeah, it's what we like to see. Um, but yeah, revenue is flowing, so no, not much um, reliance on investors at the moment, which is a great thing for the healthcare sector. Yep, absolutely. Um, Luke, Cyclefund. Um, it's an example of why I like coming on this program because I used to own this business many years ago and it's sort of fallen off my radar and like a lot of medical device companies, Grady was talking about, it's, it's a long process and often takes longer than what you expect. Um, and when I looked at it this morning, I thought I would see that again, that the business was still, you know, early stage and promising but um, struggling to really get there. It's actually very well developed now, you know, 20 mil revenue, um, as Grady alludes to, and um, well established in a lot of different markets, except for the US. Yeah. And so that's the, the, the big pie for these guys. It's the it combined is bigger than almost every other market they operate in. Um, if you take a step back to what they actually do, yeah, it's um, around the, the radioactive um, lung pulmonary embolisms. Um, and it's the classic medical device model of you sell them the unit, but it's that ongoing razor, razor blades, consumables. Yep. High margins, you know, you're tying yourself, your revenue is not tied to lumpy capital sales, but the ongoing consumables and the amount of tests being done. Um, they are obviously very confident, as Bell Potter is, of getting this FDA approval, because they've already said we've manufactured 200 units ready to go to the US as soon as we get this approval. Um, so I expect to see that come through as well. Um, look. I don't own this. Um, I would say if you're there, you definitely hold it. It could even be a speculative buy for someone who is, you know, looking for a bit of this medical device exposure from you know, a genuine micro cap, 192 million market cap. Um, when I look at this business, I see a lot of the same things I saw in Nanosonics 10 years ago. Now there's execution risk, of course, mm. um, but when you're looking for micro caps, you know, you want to see those characteristics and it gives you gives you the opportunity to obviously execute over time and, and get those fantastic winners that we're looking for. But um, yeah, it's definitely gone straight back to the top of my watch list and, and the business is a lot further uh, ahead of where I thought it was in my mind. So I appreciate um, Fran who, who sent it in. All right, well, you're reconsidering. I mean, that's good. You come sure. back, take a look again. Well, yeah. you have to. I mean, things often fall off your radar. And, and yep. you know, like I said, it's probably been two or three years since I looked at the business. Okay. COVID was a setback for them. Mm. You, you saw them in the numbers, but they're now coming through and you, you're seeing really strong growth. And you've got to come back and look at these stocks, particularly where you know, you've done work. Like you've got the, the knowledge in the back of your head. You know, you've got to be able to execute on that and, and come back to them. Yep. All right, that's Cycle Farm. All right, let's move on to Drone Shield. Uh, it's uh, it's a counter drone specialist. Now, uh, Luke, I was reading just in the last day or so about the threat to Australia's security as far as AI controlled mm. drone swarms. It, you know, it sounds really scary, to be honest, where you get a mass of drones that just infiltrate our borders and unleash mayhem. Mm. Um, I guess this is sort of where they're at. It's more on an individual basis, but it just goes to show what perhaps the potential of the future is here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and these guys play into that. You read their last presentation, they talk about the, the need for the AI response to the AI drones. It sounds like a sci-fi movie yeah. or something, doesn't it? Um, 
these guys are doing really well. Again, it's another micro cap, 176 mil. So, you know, that's the, the caveat to this. It's a small business. It will be volatile, not just share price, but the actual business itself. Um, but they are executing, you know, signing 10, $11 million contracts with um, defense departments around the world. Um, their product well, still is, you know, um, a gun style product, you know, handheld um, <clears throat> electromagnetic pulse style um, gun that you would shoot at drones, but they're pivoting more to systems that you're talking about, um, you know, to, to take on the, the AI controlled drones of the future, the swarms. Um, and so you're, you're hearing more about bases, you know, being equipped with anti-drone technology and, and mm. drone shields trying to play well and truly in that space. Um, 17 mil revenue last year, their backlog for this year is already 22. So there's going to be revenue growth coming through, let alone whatever else they can win. Um, the note I jotted down though, is it's, it's one to be patient with as an investor. Um, there's a tough working capital cycle to this business. So they need to load up on inventory, build the, build the systems, um, you know, large contracts, lumpy cash collection from governments though. I, I have no doubt they'll get cash in the door, but it might be longer than expected or, or you know, around project based milestones. Um, but the long, longer term trajectory seems really solid and they're looking to build that software revenue in behind the hardware. So a bit like Cyclofarm, I, I, I like where they're going. You're, you know, you, you need the execution from management, but so far it's been good. And so definitely hold it if you're there and, and perhaps a speculative buyer for someone who, you know, um, wants a bit of that sort of um, defense exposure, which as you alluded to, the, they had the, uh, the government briefing the other day. This is a sector that will have a lot of tailwinds behind it into the future and, and Drone Shield, are, are one of the probably few stocks on the ASX, small or large, that gives you direct exposure to it. So I like it. Again, don't own it. It's chucked it on my watch list again. It's definitely one I want to keep an eye on. Um, but I think it's a hold and, and maybe spec buy. Yep. Okay. Uh, Grady, yeah, Luke pointed out there a couple of uh, key contracts there. US Department of Defense, I mean, that's yeah. obviously a huge vote of confidence. Massive as well. And also yeah. the fact that the Defense Strategic Review was announced recently in Australia just puts this company in the right position. And at a time where they're going from honestly strength to strength, they had record revenue last year driven by a backlog order of $24 million uh, in cash receipts. They've also, so revenue was up 60% in the in CY22. Um, they've got material contracts and the rate, they had a share uh, raising recently to kind of capitalize and bolster their balance sheet and um, make sure that they can keep funded. And that's exactly as Luke said, you want to be patient with this company because as they continue winning contracts, the backlog is just incredible and the potential for new contracts. So what we see is that there's 200 million plus dollars in sales pipeline consisting of over 90 standalone projects. So understanding that there is a review underway in Australia's Defence Force, it puts this company in absolutely the right position. Um, they've got their edging and on profitability um, is I think that's what we're seeing. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah they'll nearly yeah. break even last they're year. They're nearly, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're edging on it. So I'm like, where are my notes? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're edging on it. So again, for a company like this, it's only a matter of time. And with such strong revenue coming through and such growth quarter on quarter, the like, the, it's only upside from here, really. So, and given so many ta some tail, serious tailwinds in that the every country around the world is now putting serious focus on warfare and serious focus on their um, defense strategies, this company can go from strength to strength continued. So yeah, definitely a buy at the moment with a 41 cents per share price target. All right. Yeah, in fact, we're seeing evidence of that in uh, that in war in Ukraine at the moment with the use of, uh, of drones at the same time. All right, depressingly, I should say. Uh, let's move back into resources. Deep Yellow, Uranium Explorer. 
Um, Grady, a lot of false dawns for uranium, given, yeah. <laughs> you know, post-Fukushima, mm-hmm. where obviously everyone went off because of the disaster that that was. But now, of course, with that energy crunch yes. that we faced back on the agenda, um, how are you feeling about an explorer then in that space? It's... Honestly, an exciting time. So we have a spec buy on deep yellow with a price target of a dollar and four cents. Now, there's a lot at play with uranium, um, but understanding that Japan, for example, is turning back on nuclear power and they were the country who had the devastating Fukushima incident. It says that there is uranium and there is a need for nuclear power in the future. So Germany was phasing out their nuclear power plants. They've cut that. They said, we're not phasing them out anymore. We do need this after Russia's invasion of Ukraine um, causing that energy crisis. So there is a reliance on nuclear power moving forward and uranium is the commodity to fuel nuclear power plants. Now, for an explorer, it is an exciting time simply because they're moving towards their final investment decision. And at a time where, so last year, the uh, Global Uranium Conference predicted that uranium price would hit $100 US per pound in the mid to long term. So with that in mind, a company like this could be in a really good position to capitalize and come online as soon as the uranium price hits $100 US per pound. And it's currently around $50 US per pound, so nearly double. So understanding that, the um, they have the Tumas Uranium Project, is its definitive feasibility study at the moment, edging towards the final investment decision and development. Um, They did have high capital costs at at $372 million. That's not a great thing for a company. Um, So they did revise their operating costs higher by 25% for the outlook. So for a company like that, it's not a great thing to have higher costs and investors wouldn't be that happy. But um, we do, they are burning cash. So we expect, now we've factored that in, that they're expected to burn higher cash over the next two years. Um, But again, that could be the time that uranium prices come online and come uh, through through to the peaks that we're expecting of 100 US dollars per pound. So they've got a really good management team as well who has good history of these kind of mines. So with that in mind, um, we do have a spec buy. But in this space, we have a buy rating on Boss Energy. So I think if you're going to play the uranium space, this one's a spec buy. um, But Boss Energy is the one we uh, definitely have the strong buy on at the moment. Yep. Okay. So Luke... Yeah, pretty hard to predict where the uranium price is going to go. So, so what are you looking for in a company like this? Um, well, it's in a similar spot to where Arafura was. It's not quite producing, trying to get there. Um, I won't be as positive with Deep Yellow as I was with Arafura, though. Um, and the main reason for that is you're taking a lot of commodity price risk here. And, and what I mean by that is if you look at that DFS that Grady was talking about, the low-end uranium pricing they use is $65 a pound. Um, so at, at current prices of around 50, uh, you know, at, at the low end of, of what they need to make a decent return as an operating mine, it, it's below where current prices are. So you probably need that upside towards that $100 a pound um, that the sorry the World Uranium Forum was talking about. Um, you probably need that to see this become even you know sort of a viable project. Um, it, it likely won't get off the ground unless you see those uranium prices tick up. Um, it's over in Namibia. There's, uh, I don't know Africa um, jurisdictions too well, but obviously a little bit of sovereign risk there maybe. Um, 
But that was my main concern with it is just that that DFS already relies on a higher uranium price than where it currently is. And as you said, it's so difficult to forecast that uranium price. There's been fits and starts for years. And, um, you know, go back to the conversation on Gold Road and gold bugs. The only people who may be more fanatical than gold bugs are uranium <laughs> bugs. <laughs> we've, been, we've been hearing about the return of uranium for 20 years. So, yeah, um, yeah look, I, I would hold it if you're there. I, I don't know enough to tell someone to sell this stock. but. If you're a passenger in the stock, in the sense if you haven't done too much work on it, maybe do a little bit of work around you know the assumptions that's in that DFS that they've done, um, and just make sure you're comfortable with them. Yep. Well, I can tell you, having been there, that uh, Namibia, one of the safer and more reliable jurisdictions in which to operate in Africa. All right, let's uh, let's summarise where we've been in the first half of the show. We began in our stock of the day. It was NAB off the back of its half-year results, which uh, disappointed the market to to the point where the stock has been off around 6% uh, in this morning's trade. So um, Luke's got a hole in it, uh, saying obviously that uh, it has spooked the market, uh, that result, but uh, it's not really where he's willing to play at the moment. Likewise, Grady also a hold on it, uh, looking at perhaps that those NIMs, the net interest margins have peaked. All right, so the stocks as picked by you. Uh, Gold Road Resources, we know how well gold has done um, to, uh, to date, the question is, uh, will these stocks benefit from it? Well, Grady's got a buy on it from um, Bell Potter. Uh, it's also got a slice of DeGray, which is actually a spec buy there too from, uh, from Bell. And uh, Luke, um, generating cash, he says, a lot to like about the company. Actually, what was your recommendation on that? Gold Road? Yeah. Um, spec buy if you want to play in the gold space. A spec buy, yeah. Okay. All right, Arafura Earths. Um, does have that offtake agreement with uh, with Siemens, and Grady pointed out to one with uh, Kier and and also Hyundai. Um, and Luke pointing out that uh, it's had a good run, um, maybe take some profits ahead of its uh, production, which is due to come in in 2025, I think. So he's got a hole in a spec buy there from uh, Grady, seeing the long term upside, particularly the play into those EVs. Cycle Farm and Radio Pharmaceuticals a buy from Grady. And a hold, maybe a spec buy there from uh, from Luke. Drone Shield, uh, talking about the future there, which is sounding pretty scary as far as drones are concerned in the military space. Um, and these guys try to counter that, of course. So Luke's got a hold on it. Um, and Grady, uh, pointing out it's close to profitable, a buy there for, uh, for Drone Shield. And uh, in fact, Luke's got a potential spec buy there if yeah, you want to get into- if you want the defense some, exposure. Yeah. Exposure in the defence area, and just finally, there DPLO as far as uranium explorer is concerned, a spec buy from Grady. Although they do prefer Boss as a buy, and Luke a hold. All right, now let's uh, check in with our portfolio that we're tracking, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live here to watch at Ausbiz.com. Checking in on the updates and going into May, 1% was trimmed from Macquarie, West Farmers and Elders. 1% was added to WiseTech, MA Financial and also the cash position. That's why it got replaced by Kelsian Group. So in terms of performance, the fund is up 7.3% on a cumulative return basis since its inception on March the 20, uh, 2022, yeah, last year. In fact, I just watched that... Uh, that return fall this week. It was up over 8% at the beginning of the week. So there you go, it just goes to show what's happened this week. Uh, so keep sending in your requests, keep call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Well, next 
for the second half of the show, we're going to be taking a look at A2 Milk, Orthocell, City Chic, Bubs, and Points Bet. So let's uh, get into A2 Milk. And uh, Luke, uh, look, we know what it does. Um, obviously, it was uh, it was doing well in the Daegu market uh, in China, but there, we've se- have seen some profit downgrades from Sinlay. Mm. Um, A2 slightly lowering sales guidance there. How are you feeling about the future for A2? Yeah, we've got a bit of a theme in the second half with Fallen Angels. <laughs> and <laughs> A2 kicks it off. Um, look, obviously had a lot of issues after the the, the big boom they had uh, on the back of the Daigu trade and into China. Um, and I think the market sort of expected those good times wouldn't last forever. Um, there were some, you know, circumstances back then that over time would, would slowly fade away and, and competitors would come in and, and you had to get into China legitimately at some point rather than go through the high margin Daigu channel. The business has really struggled to get that balance right. COVID hasn't helped, obviously. Um, the Sinlate downgrade was interesting the other day because Sinlate, they manufacture four other um, formula uh, brands as well, but A2 is by far their, their major uh, customer. And so when Sinlate has an unnamed customer, you know, un- unnamed production downgrade, A2 has to come out and basically say, yeah, yeah it's us. <laughs> um, but they did say, look, the that was on the... Um, English language labels. Um, they've had a you know a bit weaker than what they would expect on the back of further Daigu weakness, mm. um, but they're expecting that to be offset by the strength in their direct Chinese labels. So that's that pivot that they've been trying to make now for three or four years, and they've been struggling to do. And in particular, from a margin point of view, just haven't been able to get those same margins through the direct China channel as what they did when people were just rushing to get them off the shelves here in Australia, and you know by any means necessary, get them into China. Um, the main issue I have with it is it still is not bombed out from a valuation point of view, like still trading on about 18, 19 times EBITDA, um, and still a lot of moving parts to that as well. As I said, you've got some segments going backwards, some segments going forward. Margins are about flat, but where do they go in the future? Um, cash conversion was strong last year, weak this year, but how does that all sort of balance out? So basically I come to the conclusion of when you have a lot of complexity and question marks, you need that to be offset by a lower valuation. I just don't think A2 gives you that. Um, you know, a tough run, do you sell it on, on the sort of slide it's had? I'd probably say yes, to be honest. Mm. I think there's just better places you can have your money than in a business like A2 Milk right now. And I think even though it is sort of two or three years from the high, there's a lot of pockets of the market that are still anchored to where this business was, not where the business is or, or is going. So, um, yeah, for me, better places for your, for your capital. Interesting take on that, Luke. Uh, and Grady, obviously, with what's going on uh, with, um, I guess, market conditions, particularly in China. So how do you view it? Yeah, we've got a hold at the moment. Um, just because, as Luke said so well, there is so much at play. Um, the US market is another key market that uh, baby formula companies need to play in. Um, Bubs, which is we're talking about later, and A2 Milk both were granted the temporary access to there when uh, the US had their own contamination issues. So they were able to help out there. Notably, Bubs got it much earlier than A2 Milk and they both expired in January this year. So given that they can't penetrate that market yet, it is super hard to kind of make a stance really and really get that global exposure. Um, as you were saying, they're really trying to transition over the last three, four years to into this direct China, uh, direct China uh, label. Um, gross margins are much higher in China. So understanding that, the fact they can't get that just yet, and it's taken years to do so, kind of is a bit of shaky ground. Um, 
and our Bell Potter report was labelled where weird gets strange, which is right. kind of, it kind of hits it on the head, doesn't mm, it? It yeah. says with Steinlay or well, Sinlay milk downgrading theirs, and then obviously as you said, Ato having to go, yeah, that's us. Mm. Um, it just says that there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment in the markets, and we know that A2 Milk placed all their pro- all of their focus on China, and Bubs has kind of come in to capitalise on that in Australia's market. So it is really competitive, shaky grounds at the moment. So it's definitely, and we're, what we're seeing is like top line revenue growth has slowed materially from 19% year on year last year to just 2% this year in the second half. So it's like, where are we going to go from here? How can you have such a dramatic fall when babies are still drinking formula? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like babies aren't, haven't stopped drinking formula. So given their demand is there, what's going on? So I think at the moment, yeah, it's definitely a hold at the moment to see how the next few months play out. All right, um, a hold then from you. Look, we, we should do bubs, but we're going out of order. Well, we'll <laughs> we will if we do that. So bear in mind, we're going to be coming to bubs in just a moment. Uh, let's move on to Orthocell. Uh, it is um, what's well, collagen-based nerve repair device, uh, Remplier. That's its device. Big push into the states there. Um, Grady, what are your thoughts on Orthocell? It's a really interesting company. Like having a look at what they do, they've developed two product lines for tissue regeneration. So first is a collagen medical device, the Cell Grow, um, for its for to augment surgical repair of bone and soft tissue. And the second one is autologous autologous cell repair using the tra- the patient's own healthy cells. So with this in mind, the company, again, it's one of those stories, you buy into the story um, of a company or you buy into them at the revenue phase in the healthcare sector. So given that the company is um, where it's, we're expecting US registration in the, in the near term. So they're via the 510K pathway during FY24. Um, and so it still doesn't have FDA approval. Doesn't have FDA, FDA Does yet. though here, has it approval. It has approval here, yes. Right. So it is currently being used um, at the moment, but they've just added two orthopedic surgeons to their advisory board, which Bell Potter sees as a really positive thing for the company and in their way that they could get the 510K FDA pathway even better because these two these two surgeons have done this before, so they have experience, and that's why we think they've got them on the advisory board to get the um, process into the US underway. Um, so understanding that we do retain a speculative buy rating again because penetrating the US market is key to any of these companies, um, and yeah, Remplier is the collagen nerve wrap as well. So that's the other product that currently is used. They've also got the Ortho ATI product and the uh, Striate product. So they've got a number of products under their belt. Um, a number of them have regulatory approval, so are generating money for them. Um, but again, we've got the the new product, the Remplier, is the one that doesn't have the uh, FDA approval and that's what we're looking for for a company mm. like this so yes yeah, spec by at the moment we do like what they're doing it's the first in class all therapy all cell therapy so they're really focused in the right space and they're leading the space so um yeah all right. spec by at the moment if you want to play in this space look i was much more impressed with this business than i expected to be um you know when you play in the small end of biotechs um what you want to see is businesses that have a core ip technology and then you know sort of fingers in a lot of pies let's see where we can execute and and sort of monetize this technology um and so you read their reports you get a lot of different names and therapies and you get a bit lost to be honest if you're looking at it for the first time until i got to an announcement that um last year one of their uh dental uses called striate signed a 23 million 
billion distribution agreement with a subsidiary of Henry Schein, the largest dental company in the world, in the US. Um, and straight away, like that, you know, that signals that there's real, real product here, real IP, um, and that someone like that is willing to pay you know, $23 million, $23 million, which the cash is in the bank, um, to get the exclusive distribution rights to, to this product. Um, now, I think the valuation you're paying today, 75 mil, is probably underpinned by that. And then you get the upside, if they can execute on Cellgrow and um, Remplier and a few others that they're trying to do, that's the blue sky. And, that's, and, and to me, that's what you want from a stock like this. You want, um, hopefully, a core segment that's underpinning a valuation. Um, and then the upside, because when you're paying a micro cap um, biotech, at the end of the day, you know we're, we're all looking for those big multi-baggers that can come from this sort of space. So um, definitely a hold. Like, as I said, I was pretty new to the, to the stock looking at it this morning. Um, Definitely a hold, but this is one worthy of a bit more work, and, and I'm certainly going to do that. It's always hard because it's so scientific, um, but yeah, just the fact that you get that sort of distribution deal and, and a large play or the largest player in that space is, is giving you $23 million to access your technology, that's that's a, a signal that something is here and worthy to look at. Yeah, interesting. All right, one definitely to keep an eye on, OrthoCell. All right, moving on to City Chic. It sort of specializes in plus size clothing. Uh, one of those stocks where it was a COVID beneficiary. Since then, it's been a bit of a tale of woe when you take a look at the share price. It looks pretty ugly. Luke, what's going on there? Yeah, these guys, they got their inventory management wrong um, mm. last year. And, and the funny bit is, is the market was onto it quite early. Um, and, and the market was, was sort of calling out that your inventory is too large. The the space you play is just too commoditized to be able to have excess inventory where, um, you, you know, you just can't maintain your pricing to move that inventory. You have to discount and take the hit to your margins. And, and that's what's happened. So the, the market's played a little bit of a told you so with this business and the yeah. share price. Um, it was sort of screaming at management for a while that, that you know, you've got this problem, you need to address it. They were saying for a long time, we think we're fine and you know, we're trying to avoid um, supply chain issues. So we're getting inventory in the door now and obviously it, it hasn't played out. Um, look, it's been a tough ride for shareholders. Um, come back a long way. The difference, and go back to my comments on A2 Milk, it's if you're going to look at these sorts of stocks, you want that valuation to be bombed out. And, and these guys are starting to get to a point where that valuation is bombed out. You know, 100 mil market cap now. Um, you only have to go back a couple of years, and this is a business doing 20 mil NPAT. Um, so the question you ask yourself is, are we going through a temporary blip with this business, or structurally is there something wrong? Look, I think their brands are still good. Um, that's the key to me. If their brands are still good, consumers still resonate with that, and we get through these um, inventory issues and obviously issues around the consumer and, and retail in general, um, you know, you can probably fall back to a business that can do between 10 and 20 mil net profit. Um, it's just going to be a volatile ride for shareholders in between. Um, so I would hold it. It's one where if you're willing to catch falling knives, keep it on your watch list. The two things I'd be watching is obviously that, in, obviously that inventory, that's that's key, but also the debt level. They've had to take on a bit of extra debt just to get the working capital to keep things moving. They think that if everything goes to plan, they wind down the inventory, get the cash in the door, pay down the debt, you know, it's Christmas and off we go. <laughs> We wait and see. So yeah. keep an eye on those two things. But I think it's one, unlike A2 Milk, that valuation is really bombed out. So it's much more interesting to me from a, you know, deep value, catch the knife sort of stock. If you're in there though, what do if you If you're in there, I think you Just have to hold, hold it. Yeah. Um, you've taken so much pain and they're close. 
they've realised the issues, the problems they've made, and they've got a you know concrete plan to to you know execute and turn it around. So I think you mm. you now hold it through, see how that goes. All right, Grady. It's a hold as well. Um, this company, yeah, they led the market. They had such an opportunity to monopolise the market back in the day. There was, they were the only player in the plus size space before plus size became more well known and uh, body positivity was became this central theme in the fashion industry. Now we have ASOS, we have Nordstrom, we have Macy's, we have every company, Sports Girl, we have every company around the world playing in the plus size space. So it's no, they're no longer monopolized and they no longer have this market lead. And unfortunately for them, they have the inventory problem. It's very unhealthy, $163 million in the first half of inventory. So mm. understanding that, and it's given how cyclical in nature fashion is and how seasonal, there's four seasons a year. There's summer, autumn, winter, spring, and that is constantly changing and no one's gonna buy last year's stock. So what we're seeing is that their competitor Torrid in the UK, um, they're planning to reduce their promotional activity. So that could be one entry for City Cheek to kind of step up and really ramp up their promotional activity to get rid of this excess stock, as I said, as Luke said, and use it as a way to clear their debts. Um, but if they don't do that, then it's like, here's your opportunity, here's the golden opportunity, take it and run. Yep. Um, as well, there's a really weak start to the second half is 17% uh, sales are down 17% quarter on quarter and US promotion remains really tense. So Torrid's a clear example, US consumers aren't spending. We've got this rising cost of living, um, retail sales uh, expected to come down in the near term. So. Uh, it's a really, really tough time for City Cheek, and until they start like reducing their inventory level, it's going to be an even tougher time. So again, during COVID, they're a great beneficiary of people having, or all of us being given JobKeeper, JobSeeker, sitting at home having nothing to do but shop. Now we have high cost of living pressures where inflation is really high, retail spends coming down um, until they get everything under control. And also in North America, they have no store presence, they're only online. And mm. so given competitors are on the ground there and people would shop like, when you're shopping these days, I'm not just gonna buy something and hope that it fits. So mm. given how um, the high cost of living pressures are, so I want to go into the store, I don't wanna send it back, send it in the mail with mail issues as well. So there's so much at play here. So yeah. unfortunately for City Cheek, it is definitely a hold at the moment. All right, moving right along. In fact, we're going back into that baby nutrition yeah. space with Bubs, which we were talking about a little earlier. And uh, Grady, talking yes. about Inventories. Yes. Bubs has certainly had its problems there. They have indeed, but they've rectified them. Um, we've got a spec buy and it's been upgraded from a hold recently and it's a share price target of 70 cents a share. What we see is that distribu distribution agreement is taking place. Now, they've got the corporate Daigo customer, a Daigo customer, um, that we're seeing that the, it's their third IMF SKU or SKU. So they've announced this alongside their, um, so it's for their IMF and alongside their goat and grass fed products. So it's a good thing to get a few bundles in there, not just the IMF. Um, we also see the product range is uh, set to be initially taken by 500 Coles stores, which is an initial order of $32.9 million, um, which doesn't seem like a lot, but given that grosses, that Bubs' first half 
gross sales of IMF was only 20.4 million. That's a massive amount and it's a massive sale for them to take on. Um, so understanding that with, uh, as you were saying, inventory, uh, that kind of clears the inventory problem for them, given that this is such a massive order. Um, and we've also got Alpha Group. So they had a conditional equity link distribution agreement with Alpha Group. So understanding that they have minimum purchase orders coming through. So that definitely de-risks the company. Um, again, as I said before with A2 Milk, Bubs was the first to get uh, F- or TGA sorry, FDA approval to go into the US to help with the baby formula crisis there. Um, A2 Milk was rejected, I think, once or twice before they got that approval. So Mm -hmm. huge thing for bubs. Um, But yeah, we definitely see that the future does look bright for this company. And again, um, we do see that they're targeting Australia's market and China. So it's all ticks from us. All right, speak by Luke. yeah, fallen angel, no doubt. Like this was a business that was absolutely flying last year on the back of that US announcement, and um, just a few issues have kicked in, and, and some of that I think is probably self-inflicted from the inventory point of view we're talking about. But um, other is is the markets have definitely softened in in this space. You see that across A two and N bubs, um, sales were down ten percent. The big one was China was down 50% and, and the, the two dreaded words strategic review was used in the last quarterly whenever you see strategic review. Um, the cash burn is high. They've, they've you know commented that they raised some capital and have enough cash in the bank to get them through another four odd quarters and hopefully would be cash flow positive by then. Um, a bit of board upheaval as well. So there's a lot going on here. Um, I suspect the turnaround will probably be longer than what people think they inevitably are with with you know stocks like this. Um, I would probably hold it if you. The, the difference is between Bubs and A2 Milk is it's a bit further bombed out than what A2 Milk is, um, and a bit like City Chic. You sort of look at where this business was, although it wasn't profitable, but the platform it's built. Um, if it can sort of work through these issues, it's mm. got. You come back to a you know a good business. Uh, at a much lower valuation. So I would hold it, you know, considering if you've ridden it all the way down. Yep. If you're on the sidelines though, as I said, these things just, they often take longer than what you hope. So just sit back and, and wait for the actual signs of that turnaround's happening rather than trying to pick it early. All right, that is a hold then from Luke on Bubs. Right, let's round it out with uh, points bet in the sports betting arena. There, this one picked by Turk. I know uh, it uh, is picked by Karen. Uh, so let's get into it. It's in fact it has confirmed that it's in discussions to over the sale potential sale of its U.S. business. Um, interesting, what's going on in that space then, and the struggles I guess perhaps that that uh, points to with points bet. Um, Luke, how are you looking at this one? Um, yeah, look, these guys are trying to establish themselves in that U.S. sports betting space, and it is extremely crowded, and there's a lot of players trying to consolidate the market share and um, a lot of promotional activity, a lot of marketing activity, and a lot of cash burn. Um, so these guys are forecast to lose $80 million in the second half. Um, 250 mil cash, so look, they've got the balance sheet to be able to do it, but the market's now looking ahead and saying, okay, well, what does FY24 look like? And that inflection towards profitability appears to be a long way off. Um, and mostly because, you know, they're competing against some pretty established peers over in the US. Um, Flutter and, and Tain are the, are the main two listed over in the UK. Um, they're profitable, and so the difference you've got is when you have the, the profitability, um, you can sort of 
uh, you know, squeeze your competitors out of the market. And, and, and that's in effect what they're doing. They run the, the major websites over there. Um, from a share price point of view, it's a bit hard to, to really give definitive recommendations because there's a lot of potential for corporate activity here. Um, they've got their US business up for review, as you said, Andrew. Um, they've also had bids for their Australian business. So how this plays out over the short term, it's hard to say. I mean, the whole business may be taken out in the next six months and you know, shareholders would get whatever capital returned to them um, or nothing happens and, you know, the, the cash burn rolls on and the business looks probably pretty ugly in, in six months or so. Um, so, look, I, I would actually probably hold it. I don't know enough about that strategic um, place where it's at right now to, to tell someone to sell. But fundamentally, it's a some pretty ugly results and, mm. and I'm not sure they get better anytime soon. Well, you've already ridden it this far down, so... What have you got and you, and you've got a management team who have committed to doing something. Yeah. To me, that, that's an important thing is, is they've realised that things can't continue the way they are. So we need to either address the US business or the yep. Aussie business and either one will bring cash in the door for them. All right. Great. Spec buy, as you said, they've ridden it the whole way down. So it's a spec buy. <laughs> well, there's only one way to go then, isn't There's it? only one way to go apparently right. and it's up. Um, with this company, again, our report was called Hold'em or Fold'em. So in the US, <laughs> it's as Luke said so well, it's such a difficult market to get into. During COVID, everyone had so much, they had all this money, free money given to them. If they weren't buying activewear, they were investing in the stock market or betting on different apps so i know in australia there's a lot of leaders so points has kind of failed to become a leader in any market is so here we've got sports bet we've got tab we've got better which is a new one that's kind of making waves so this again saturated marks markets are really hard to play in and unless you get that market share it's kind of a really really tough battle so the company is burning cash at a really high rate so 69 million in q3 uh, which again is a massive amount to burn and you can't keep operating a business at such high cash burn. So again, management has said that they're addressing this, but what it takes to address that, I'm not quite sure. Um, again, they have said they're in multiple conversations with respect to their North American business, as Luke and Andrew said, um, So and certain negotiations are well advanced. So. I guess it's at the moment, it's a kind of watch and wait. Spec buy because of the fact that it's come down so far, so it could be a good way to buy in before they get taken over. Um, otherwise, yeah, at the moment, it's yeah, it's looking pretty messy. Mm. <laughs> there is there is strategic value to, to the customers. I mean, they've got a good, yeah. a good large base of customers and, and that has strategic value to the large players who are already at scale. So mm. despite being a loss-making business, it can still have immense value to, yeah. to those larger players. And there'll right. always be a market for it, so. Yeah. Okay, we shall watch. All right, let's sum up the second half of the show. Uh, A2 Milk, in fact, uh, well, Luke, Luke called the second half uh, Fallen Angels, maybe aside from one. But anyway, we'll get to that. A2 Milk, um, still overvalued as far as Luke's concerned. He's got a sell on it. It was great. He's got a hold. Um, their report, what titled When the Weird Gets Strange, just as far as uh, how they're managing the business and just in terms of sales at the moment, particularly as far as China's concerned. Orthosell, I guess that's the odd one out here. Um, a spec buy from Grady where the, sees the US market potential there. Luke's got a hold on it, worth watching, he's saying. City Chic, uh, Luke saying, look, it certainly has suffered from inventory management problems and uh, he's got a hold on it. Potentially, we're saying you could, if you want to catch a falling knife, maybe you can go there. Uh, Grady, a hold, uh, no longer has that sort of first mover advantage in that plus size clothing space. 
Bubs uh, back in that space along with A2 Milk there, Infant Nutrition, Spec Buy from Grady, and uh, Luke, a, um, a hold, talking about a potential longer turnaround than expected for the business. And finally there, in the sports betting uh, points bet, particularly you know, struggling in the US, potentially selling that, uh, that business. Luke pointing out a long way off profitability. He has a hold. Grady, a spec buy. And that is the show for today. Grady, thanks for joining us from thanks Bell Direct. And Luke, great to see you in person yeah, from Maryland Capital. All right. And of course, any stocks you'd like us to cover, you can go to osbiz.co forward slash call picks or tweet us at osbiztv. Stay with us. The Pulse is up next. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.